there and a hand clap there. Congratulations. Who, who had the 61 years? Oh, yeah. my friends, they're good. Congratulations. To you. That's beautiful. Absolutely. And who had 11? Who had 11? Where is it? 11. All right. All right. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. All right, we are going to dive in this morning and continue to keep things going. This is uh, the fourth quarter. This is our last day. And if I do come back next year, I will definitely try to bring my family with us. I will definitely try to do that. I've been telling them about you guys as well, too. So, and uh, we're going to continue to dive in and uh, move forward. I was praying for you guys yesterday as I saw um, the weather that was over there. My wife sent me a picture of the, of the, you know, of the weather that was rolling into the area here. And uh, as I was driving in this morning, I saw a few lines down, a few trees down, those things like that. So I'm glad everyone's okay. And uh, we just thank God for, uh, for his protection over you guys. I want you to go with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 127. The book of Psalms, chapter 127. And if you guys need some chairs, there's some up here. If you guys want to sit up here, these are the $250 seats. Wow. Up here. Woo-hoo. If you don't remember, they started at $50 they on Monday. <laughs> Slowly creeping them up. Fourth quarter, right? Fourth quarter. So if you need a chair, there's some here. If you want to grab one and take a picture as well. But Psalms 127, verse 4 through 5, okay? Uh, it simply says this. Let me get there myself. That would be helpful. It says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, a reward, an offspring from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man, shall I say, slash woman, whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in the court. Let me also read this in the message version because it's beautiful as well. It says, don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb of his generous legacy. Like a warrior's Fistful of like a warrior with a fistful of arrows are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you, parents, with your quivers full of children. Your enemies don't stand a chance against you. You'll sweep them right off of your doorstep. Let's pray and let's dive into the word of God this morning. Father God, we come to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for who you are and what you're going to do in this place, Lord Jesus Christ. We honor you, Lord God, and we thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for the families that we have, the positive sides and the negative sides at times, Lord Jesus Christ, the things that come easy and the things that come hard, Lord God. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. We know that you are in control, Lord God. We lay our lives before you. We lay our families before you. We lay our our marriages, our children, our grandchildren before you, Lord God. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen. Amen. High five the person next to you. High five them. High five them. High five them. High five. High five the person next to you. The scripture tells us 
Again, he says, like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior are children born in one's youth. It paints a picture of a warrior where he or she has a fistful of arrows in their hands, and those arrows are our children. Today's sermon is simply arrows in flight. Arrows in flight. All throughout scriptures, we see God taking people and using their arrows. Their arrows meaning their children or their offspring or their grandchildren. Let me give you some examples. There was Abraham and Sarah who had an arrow and his name was Isaac. He was so powerful that his name got put into the lineage. And when we speak of our God, we speak of our God this way. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was the relationship that that arrow, that son, had with God. That was Abraham and, uh, Abraham and Sarah's arrow. His name was Isaac. How about Isaac and Rebekah? They had an arrow. His name was Jacob. He would later be named Israel and become the people of God. How about Moses? He was not biologically his, but he found a young man that he would mentor who would become his arrow. His name was Joshua, and Joshua would lead the people of God into the promised land. There was a relationship between Elijah and Elisha, and that was just another situation where a young man was an arrow who had been mentored and taught by a man of God. There was Jesus, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he shot his arrow into the world to save the world. And then he entrusted that arrow with two people on planet Earth by the name of Mary and Joseph. And all they did was add to what God had sent. They had shot an arrow into the world as well. And then we see Saul, who had an arrow as well. Yes, Good things can even come from broken things, okay? Saul was broken. Saul had issues. Saul isn't the model of what we might want to be as a person. But even from his quiver came an awesome young man by the name of Jonathan. And even from the quiver of Jonathan came an awesome young man later known as Mephibosheth, who was an awesome young man who God used as well. We all have arrows. Some of them are born from us. Some of them God has given to us. They are just our sons and daughters, either biologically or sons and daughters that God has given to us to pour into their life, to mentor to them. Everyone repeat after me. I have an arrow. I have an arrow. They are my children. They are my children. They are the people. That God sends into my life. We all have arrows. Let me tell you about my arrows for just a second. We have been given, I call my arrows sometimes, they remind me of weapons of mass destruction. (laughs) They're like weapons of mass destruction, right? You get this, all right? I, I walk into my kid's room and it looks like a bomb went off in there, right? It's like, boom, what happened in here, all right? Uh, I think of uh, I think of my daughter Destiny. We had uh, we had just had our set of twins, so we had four kids at the time. You know, just we had just come into this world of having four kids, right? And we, you know, I did the one thing I said I would never do. I said, and maybe you have heard this before. I said I will never, ever, ever have a minivan in my driveway. <laughs> <laughs> JP, that just ain't happening. 
You know why? Minivans are not cool. Right? You can't put rims on them. They don't light up. You can't do anything with that thing, okay? That's a new one. Yeah, yeah. And then I had four kids. And guess what? I had to redefine what cool was. JP, you got to get you a minivan. I know you what, 20 to what? 20? Oh, yeah, you want a minivan. You want a minivan. Yeah, the ladies love it. Maybe not with my own hands, 
but with the hands of my children and with the hands of my grandchildren, I can make an impact. Your arrow extends your reach. From here, I may not be able to touch that wall, but with an arrow, I can hit that wall and make impact. With my child, I can touch the future. With my grandchild, I can touch the future. With my core values, my morals, my faith, my belief system, and I can touch the future with my love for God if I'm pouring into my children even now. Your arrows, they go places that you could never go. They allow you no longer to be restricted. It allows you to defeat, to defeat things that you would never be able to defeat. Imagine Jesse standing before Goliath, David's father. That would have not been a good battle. Jesse standing before Goliath, but somehow Jesse's son takes out a giant. Here's what I want you to understand. David had a stone but Jesse had an arrow. Come on, let's give God a hand. David had a stone, but Jesse had an arrow by the name of David. And even though he did not respect what was happening in that young man's life and did not necessarily consider him, he did not know the value of the arrow that was in his quiver. Hello. And sometimes that arrow can give you a headache. Hello. <laughs> and sometimes that arrow, that son, that daughter, that grandson can make you question your parenting ability. Hello. <laughs> sometimes that arrow, that son, that daughter, that grandson can even make you ask yourself the question. And I just talked to a couple about this this morning. But we've all been there. Make you ask yourself the question, what am I doing wrong? Where am I messing with? Can I blow this thing? Sometimes it can take a shot at your parental, what I call self-esteem. Now here's what I want to tell you. Keep sharpening your arrow. Keep sharpening your arrow. Keep sharpening it. Keep sharpening it. Keep sharpening the arrow. I love you. I want you to know we've been through some tough times because this parenting thing ain't easy this grandparenting thing ain't easy I'm going to be right here I'm going to stay right here I'm not going nowhere I'm going to keep just keep sharpening the arrow you be consistent as I said to somebody this morning it's not always that as a parent you have done the wrong thing sometimes you have done the absolute correct things and now it's time for son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter take the tools and the things that you've given them and to appropriately apply them and use them. Sometimes they're adults making bad decisions. Sometimes they're adults <laughs> making bad decisions. And if you're not careful, you will begin to beat yourself up about the bad decisions you make. Where did I go wrong? You may not have done anything wrong. You may not have done anything wrong. Sometimes there are adults making bad decisions and they need to choose better decision-making skills. Bottom line. Meanwhile, you keep sharpening your hair off. I'm going to be right here. I love you. I'm not going to enable you. I'm not going to applaud what I know is wrong. We may agree to even disagree, but I love you. I'm here. 
you're still one of my heroes. God gave you to me. Amen? David, we understand this. I will not fulfill all that God wants or promise me, Brian Pruitt, I won't. According to scripture, it looks like that God may speak to a family, but he never necessarily accomplishes everything he spoke to that family in one person. <clears throat> Typically, he speaks to a person in a family or speaks to a family, and then a person in that family will take, will take it to a point and then there will be another person in the family who takes it to a point. And then there's another person in that family who takes it to a point. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We even see this in the life of David and Solomon. David, David told God he wanted to build him a house. And God said, no, 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 that's not for you to do, David. He said, you got too much blood on your hands. You don't know your purpose. He says, David, it was your job to do the fighting. He says, but your son, your arrow, Solomon, yeah, he's the one who will build the house. He's the one who will build the house. I understand something in my family. I'm the fighter. I'm the fighter. I understand my role. And I tell my, my wife, the kids, that I said, I'm the one who does the fighting so that you don't have to fight. I'm the one who takes out Goliath so you don't have to fight Goliath. I'm the one who clears the way so you can run and build the house of God, so you can run and answer the call of God. David understood Solomon is the next arrow that God's going to use in our family. You see, God gave me four arrows. I get four shots in this life. Brianna, Destiny, Brian, and Diamond. I must sharpen and shoot them in the right direction at the right time. I must be sure that I'm shooting them at the right target. What are the names of your arrows, your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren? I became a surrogate father to many other young kids in our city because I said, man, God, I want more arrows. And so God began to give me the heart of some young men who were in my city through our ministry power of dad. Some of them I would meet through parents as I was doing leadership trainings in corporate America as I was speaking at for keynotes at different organizations, some of them would be single-parent moms giving us a call or grandparents giving us a call. And Power Dad is not just me. It's a, it's a, a room full of adult leaders and adults within our community that we've come together now. And, and each one of them have a different and a new arrow now, young man, young woman, in the quiver at this point in time. Let me tell you about a few of the arrows that God had given to me that may not be biologically mine. His name is William. William is now 30 years old, and William now has a career working in healthcare. But William was a young man who was the secret, he and his mother were the secret family in a marriage. Gentleman was married. William thought this was his dad because as long as he was a little boy, this was a man who came to his house. Well, when he was 14, here's what he said to me. He was 14 then, he's 30 now, he's been around us this long. We call it lifelong mentoring. So for nearly 15 years, we've been sharpening that arrow. We've been sharpening that arrow so that when we can shoot it. William, 
said to me one day, he was about 14, 15 years old. He said, man, you got me excited about becoming a man. You got me excited about becoming a dad so big. He says, you know what? He says, I'm going to be over my family's house so often. I'm going to come and visit my kids so often. They're going to think I live there. I said, what? What do you mean? He said, wait, Herbert, I'm going to go see my kids so often. They're going to think I live there. <laughs> I said, William, explain to me, define to me what your definition is of a father. And I always ask kids this question because what I realize that is whatever your definition is, is what you will live out. He said, well, somebody who visits their kids quite a bit, right? And I said, kind of, sort of, not, not, not exactly, William. I said, did you ever think about the fact that you don't have to visit your kids so much that they think you live there? I said, did you ever think about the fact that you can actually live there? <laughs> he said, no. I said, tell me what was your experience with your dad? He says, well, my dad came and visited us a lot. And then he told me we were the secret family. He was a married man. He had a relationship with He's not my biological father, but he's the only man that's been in my life since I was a boy. So my idea of dad is, I can have a family here, I can have a secret family here, and these kids grew up believing that that's what father is. <coughs> that's what family is. So William grew up being a secret, so much so that he started to become a secret in many other areas of his life. This is a young man who is heavenly talented, but always find himself in isolated situations. I think of a young man by the name of Charles. Charles is a young man who uh, I was speaking at a youth event, and I heard cries coming from the back of the room, and I knew that cry. I walked over to that arrow, that young man, because that's what they are, the arrows. When they discover I'm an arrow, I got purpose, and all I need is somebody to sharpen me. I walked over to Charles and I said, man, I, I said, Charles, I said, what's your name, young man? He said, Charles. He was 15 years old. I said, your dad's not in your life, is he? He turned around, wiped his eyes. He said, how do you know? I said, I know the sound of that cry. I've done it before. I sat down with Charles that day. I began to talk with him, and as I was talking to him, I could feel it in the spirit. There was a sharpening that was beginning to happen. Charles and I were just connected that day, 15 years old. And then we began to live life together. I said, Charles, I'm going to make you an arrow of my heart. Praise God. I said, I know I'm not your biological father. I said, I said but if you need a mentor, Charles, right now, let me tell you how beautiful it is. It gets me emotional. I'm so proud of this young man. Such a beautiful thing. Charles would write these beautiful songs. And he would call me and he'd go, Brian, listen to the song I wrote. And they were just beautiful. It was the heart cry of his generation, and he could put it in words. He was a kid who went to school that other kids bullied. He had a leg that was shaped like this, literally in the L shape. And when he walked, he could 
<clears throat> kids made fun of him. But he had this skill to write music. And then all of a sudden we found out when he opened up his mouth, it sounded like angels were coming out. And I would look at his songs and I would say, Charles, someday these songs are going to bless your generation. You have a gift.
and then the rules that they got locked up in that night. Right. It's like a prison for kids. Um, and there were only 10 young men on this floor because these 10 young men had committed murders. Um, this young man in particular, he was eight years old, and he had killed a cop. Uh, it was, I remember him coming in. I remember us taking him through processing. I remember they had to shave the head and change the clothes and all those things. And I remember as I'm standing with this young man, he starts crying and he says, I want my mama. Kind of scoop down like this because this is how little he is. I get down, I just bend down, I look at him eye to eye. And at this time, I've got tears in my eyes as I'm talking to a young man. And I said, well, <coughs> I don't know how you got here. I said, I'm praying for you. But mama, mama can't come here. And I remember walking him out onto the floor and he saw the 17-year-olds and the 16-year-olds and the 18-year-olds who were our floor, <coughs> not going back into society, leaving our floor and headed to prison. Because the crime they had committed, they were so young, so they were there waiting to go to prison. He's eight. He was going to be there in that system for 10 years before he was going to go spend his prison time. And he walked in and he saw the other kids. <coughs> think of a young man by the name of Bahati, whose mother brought him to my office and said, listen, we are Muslims. We do not believe in your God. But my twin sons, Bahati and Bariti, my twin sons are broken. Can you help us? I said, we are not Muslims. We are Christians. And we don't hide the fact that Jesus, that God is a father to the fatherless. And if you're okay with that, we're okay with trying to help your boys. She says, I don't really care if you're a Christian. I want my boys to find help. Because I'm going to lose them. Those two young men who were Muslims, generation a fighting chance. Arrows protect. <coughs> Number two, arrows provide. Write it down. They provide once they hit their mark. They provide clothing, food, weapons, tools. Number three, arrows 
give perspectives, or shall I say hope. They give you a fighting chance to win. Meaning this, I might only have one last shot, but I'm not going out of here without shooting this arrow. <laughs> Number four, arrows give us something to be proud of. <coughs> our children are our arrows. They help us get our eyes off of us and get our focus and our attention on something else. God, I don't want to be a selfish generation. Help me to, to, to reach back and pull up the next generation so that they can be better than what we are. I gave you these four points, but let's backtrack. Arrows protect. They give every generation a fighting chance. This young man's name was Wells Crowther's. Wells Crowther's father was a fireman, and Wells Crowther. His dad, when he would head off to work, he would always take with him a red bandana. His young arrow's name was Wells. His dad was a firefighter with the red bandana. And Wells admired his father so much that he did this. He, he told his mom, he says, Mom, I'm going to take Dad's red bandana. She says, you don't want to do that. Your dad takes that to work every single day. But he took it as a little boy. And when his dad went to work that day, he couldn't find the red bandana, so he decided after his wife had told him what was going on that he would get Wells his own red bandana. But when he came to Wells with his own red bandana, he says, Wells, let me tell you what it means. It means we protect. It means we serve. It means we think further and greater than just ourselves. It means we help people in time of need. And he says, if I give you this red bandana, are you willing to commit to those things? He says, yes, Dad. If you go online, you will see pictures of Wells Crowders as a little boy. He's riding his little bike, and he's got a red bandana wrapped around his head, that one that his dad gave to him. If you look online, you'll see pictures of Wells Crowder playing lacrosse at Boston College. And as he's taking off his helmet, you will see him wearing the red bandana that his dad gave to him when he was a little boy. When Wells graduated from Boston College, he ended up at his dream job working in the Twin Towers. Some of you remember where you were at on 9-11. I remember exactly where I was at. I had just got done doing a school assembly and I was walking down the hall and as I was walking down the hall, TVs were popping on in the classrooms and I was looking to my, my right and my left and I was watching what was happening and you could hear the air coming out of the building not only in the, the place I was at, but on the televisions as well. Inside of the Twin Towers on the 100th floor was a young man, a young arrow, by the name of Wells Crowder. And Wells got on the phone, he called his parents. He said, Mom, Dad, he said, something horrible happened. And they said, we know, we're watching it on TV. They said, son, are you OK? He says, Mom, Dad, I'm all right. He says, tell dad, I've got my red bandana. And tell dad, I'm going to go help some people. I'm going to serve. I'm going to protect. I'm going to help others. I'm going to think of more than just myself in this situation. And Wells got off the phone. He immediately turned to the people who were in the room, and the room was on fire, and smoke was filling the room. He began to wave his red bandana, and as he did, he said this through the smoke and the fire. He says, hey, guys, he says, if you know, if you can see me, if you can see this red bandana, he says, follow me. I know the way out. 
the wells, and they led, and he led them from the 100th floor down to the street. He would have been a hero had he just gotten his car and gone home at that moment. But his father sharpened him better than that. And so that arrow ran back up the stairs again. He went back into the building and started waving the red bandana that his father had given to him as a little boy. And he said, hey, if you can see this red bandana, follow me. I know the way out. People followed him down to the streets again. He would have been a hero had he just gotten his car and left a second time. Who would have blamed him? But he was sharpened different than that. So he ran up the stairs a third time. Hey, uh, over here, if you can see me, if you can see this red bandana, follow me. I know the way out. People began to follow him again, and they made it safely to the streets. But this time, Wells was not with them. Weeks went by. People started asking questions. How did you get out of the building from the 100th floor? And story after story began to come out of a young man they didn't know his name. They just said some guy with a red bandana kept waving it. He kept telling us he knew the way out. We just followed him through the smoke. We just followed him through the fire. And they said, well, what, what, what happened to him? Once he made it to the street, we saw him run back into the building. Another week went by. They began to find bodies. And next to firefighters, and police officers was a young man by the name of Wells Crawlers. And how did they know it was him? In his hand was the red bandana that his father had given to him. And they discovered how many lives this young man saved. You know, his father was a fireman. And he says, this means we protect, this means we serve. And even though his dad never walked into the Twin Towers, you know what his dad did? He shot an arrow into the Twin Towers, his son, and it saved lives. Saved lives. Navy salesman. Who knows? Don't know what he'll face. What we know is your boy's on a mission. We're shooting arrows, and they will go places we can never go. They will do things we can never do. God wants us to keep sharpening. His name was Derek Redman. Derek Redman was in the Olympic Games, was expected to win the 200 meters. The race starts. Derek's winning the race. He ends up in the middle of the race pulling his hamstring. Some of you may remember. He falls to the track, and it looks like he's going to lose. Everybody passes him by. He's supposed to win today. And all of a sudden, what do you see? You see this guy starts making his way out of the stands and pushes his way through security, and all of a sudden makes his way down to the track. And he goes down to the young man, and what we discover is it's Derek's father. Imagine you being able to push your way down to an Olympic track. Nothing's going to stop me. That's my arrow. 
Derek looks up and he sees his dad. Legend has it that Derek says, Dad, I'm hurt. I can't do it. And his father says, Son, we're going to finish this race if we've got to finish it together. That's how I taught you. Derek wraps his arm around his father. And the Olympic picture is Derek and his dad hopping away down the, track, the Olympic track. The entire stadium stands to their feet and they start applauding. If you're at home and you're watching this on television, you stand up in your living room, you start applauding. And when they crossed the finish line, it was absolutely beautiful. You know what no one remembers about that race? They don't know why. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the speaking before Dr. Martin Luther King and the one that came after. The Here's a beautiful picture. 
We're fighting for our legacy. Let's say this is legacy. That's the best I can do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you must be on a budget. I, I'm on a budget. It's a legacy on a budget. I like that. I like that. We work well together, guys. We just we should travel together sometime. <laughs> this is legacy. And this is what life looks like right here. Okay, let me get that to you, Zach. You and your wife there. Oh yeah. Let's see. Let's see. This is the life. This is the life that Zach and his wonderful wife. What's your name again? Christina. This is the wonderful life that Zach and Christina has lived. Now watch this. Give me two more. Can you? Let me give, this, give me this family here. You guys stand here. I'm going to give you some tools. Here's a tool for you. Here's a trusty tool for you. It fixes everything. That <laughs> <laughs> fixes everything. Hammer and duct tape, you're going to be okay. All right? Edwin, you're your husband. Would you ask that? Right here. JP, come here. I've been messing with JP all week. you to see something. Here's the way legacy works. The life you're living is the legacy you're leaving. If you walk out of that door today and you pass away, whatever was in this box, your legacy, the tools you've acquired in this life, become somebody else's inheritance. We have to be careful You put your tools in that box. You put your tools in that box. The life I'm living becomes my legacy and it becomes somebody else's inheritance. Pass it down to the next generation. You put your tools in that box. The life I'm living becomes my legacy and it becomes the next generation's inheritance. Have, hand that down to JP. Now what I want you to understand is this. He may have to live with this. And reality is, for some of us, when we look down the line back, that may be alcohol in the box. That may be three generations of divorce in the box. That may be a house that stayed together, but it was so much conflict in the box. That may be a family growing up in a family where maybe it wasn't physically abusive, but it was verbally abusive in the box. That may be growing up in a situation where maybe there were no abusive words or verbally abusive things happening in your household, but there was also silence. In other words, oh, they never said they loved me. Now you have kids who expect you to say, I love you. Problem, you didn't hear it this way. Now you got people asking for it this way, and you're struggling to give what you never had. And you say, Brian, what do I do when I struggle to give what I never had? I say this, you fight to give what you never have. What you never do is take your pain. This is what we try to do as parents. And we're not always perfect at it if we're honest. But 
the goal is to make sure that it's, I don't take my pain and my story, if it's a story of brokenness, because some of us have some beautiful stories. With those beautiful stories, pass it on. With the stories of brokenness, what I don't want to do is take my pain and pass it to the next generation. Let me tell you what JP, how old are you JP? He's an arrow. He's an arrow. He's an arrow and he represents the arrows of his generation. And the question is, is what is our generation, what are we putting in this generation's box? I'm going to tell you this. Here's the truth of the matter. Let's put some love in there. Let's put some affirmations in there. Hey, you're going to be somebody when you grow up, JP. You're going to change the world when you grow up. What I know about JP is JP, missionary, right? You're going to be missionary, right? You're already doing those things, right, JP? Yeah, changing the world. JP, hey, we're just sharpening him. We're just pouring into him. We're just encouraging him. Come on, come on. I also know this, and I have learned this. If somebody hands you a box of stuff, whether it's their legacy or not, that you don't want in your life, you do not have to receive it. You just go, you know what? Man, this doesn't look like it builds families well. This don't look like great tools for sharpening the arrows that I might have in my life someday. You know what I get to do? No thanks. And then I can do this. I can find men and women of God. I can find families who love God. And I can do this. Hey, can, can, I, can I eat from your life? <coughs> I appreciate what you guys do. Thank you. I'm the enemy. Let me tell you what I'm trying to do. 
I'm angry. You know what I find out about my life? The older I get, the more I realize I don't even think the enemy's interested in me. In me. You know what I think he's really interested in? Yeah. Yeah. He wants to take me down. He wants to take me down so he can take them down. He wants my arrows. That's what he wants. He wants my arrows. This is parenthood. This is grandparenthood.
He's no longer here. But I get to carry what he put inside of me. I'm an arrow of a gentleman by the name of Brian Molitor. And what I love about Brian Molitor and our relationship, everybody refers to me as his son. And the beauty and the funny part of it is I'm black and Brian's white. <laughs> They just call us the Bryans everywhere we go. The Bryans. There's the Bryans. People get us confused. I get emails where people are talking to him. He gets emails where people are looking for me. And I go, I, we go, I think they're looking for you. <laughs> this is how intertwined our lives are. I've been part of Brian Molitor's life since I was 18. I'm 50 now. Lifelong mentor. That many years of him still doing this to me. I talk to him all the time. I work with him now. He taught me how to speak. He would take me to his house. He says, you got a story. You got to learn how to tell it. We would go to his house. He would put me in front of a video camera, and he would go, tell your story. He didn't know that when I was a little boy in my bedroom, I was doing the exact same thing. Remember the map? He didn't know. And after I would get done telling my story, he, the next week he'd go, put a speech together. He didn't know I was doing that as a little boy. I was 18, freshman in college, and I met this gentleman. And he would put, cut the camera on again, he says, do your speech. And then at the end, he would go, tell me what you like. Tell me what you want to improve on. That was his question. Not what you did wrong. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you want to improve on. And I would tell him. Then eventually he would start traveling. He was traveling, speaking, and he works in corporate America doing leadership training and keynote speeches. I started following his footsteps. I work in corporate America, leadership trainer, keynote speeches. I just started traveling with him. He started teaching me a trade, teaching me a tool. Brian, somewhere today, if I, I would put money on the fact this morning, Brian is somewhere on a tractor on a nice day like this, in his backyard, digging a hole somewhere. <laughs> I know my papa. That's what I call him, papa. My kids call him granddad. We don't look alike, oh, but we are alike. I'm one of his arrows. I was shot. be said of you before you leave this earth. I shot an arrow towards the sky, and by the grace of God, it stuck. I hit the bullseye. And for the arrows that seem to be somewhat crooked, those kids, those grandkids that seem to be going wayward, keep loving them. Keep sharpening. And I know that's not always easy. Trust that when God says, train a child up in the way he should go, and in the end they will not depart. Trust that he knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And stop blaming yourself at all times for what your children or your grandchildren might be doing wrong. But keep loving Guys, it's been an honor and a pleasure being with you today. God bless you all. GBG, it'll be great.
shops here. <laughs> JP, I had like the 250 I had 250 in the box. Did you see that? No? Oh, oh yeah, what did you get that to? I'll talk to you after the service. Thank you all for being here in Brian's class. Um, if you've been here all week, you know he's had books over there. He's got a couple more. They're $10 each if you want to grab one on your way out. Um, I want to thank Brian. I don't know if I should say this or not, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm the dean. What are you going to do? But uh, <laughs> Bayshore Family Camp cannot afford Brian Pruitt. And he's been here this week as a gift to us. I, I mean, we are compensating him. We are. Don't worry. You'll get some. <laughs> 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 gift and so I just want to encourage you to make sure that you thank him for his ministry here this week uh, and the gift that he's given to us this week uh, it's been a great blessing I'll tell you what this session right here for me has been worth the price of admission um, let's pray for him Lord we just thank you for Brian we thank you again for his ministry uh, his ministry here at camp his ministry in Saginaw his ministry in this nation Lord, I just, as we leave today, I want to thank you for him, but I also want to pray for him. Uh, I want to pray for his ministry. I want to pray that you would bless it. I want to pray for his family. Yeah. As somebody who's going out and mentoring and, and teaching and, and ministering to families, Lord, I'm sure that his family is a double target. And so I just pray for your protection over them and a hedge of protection around them. Um, I just thank you for all that you've done in him, through him, for the way that you've broken patterns in his family, Lord. I thank you for that. And I just pray uh, that you would continue to do your good works in him and in his children and in his children's children and for a thousand generations, Lord. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.